How do, how do? It is Tuesday, June 30th. Time for another edition of the Come On Now MMA podcast. I am your host, Trent Reinsmith. And first uh, topic today is going to be John McCarthy saying that he convinced a cage side doctor that John Jones should be able to continue. Um, in the first Alexander Gustafson fight when the doctor came in and wanted to stop the fight for the bad cut that Jones had over his eye. And here is the clip of McCarthy talking about that. And then, you know, you know me, I got something to say about it. John Jones thinks that I hate it. Right. Yeah. He actually at one point, you know, when uh before, uh, I'm trying to think, it was the uh, Daniel Cormier fight. And he says he, you know, he came out in the media and said he didn't want me doing his fight. It was because of the fight that he had with Vitor Belfort in Toronto, Canada, where you know there was a kick thrown and stuff. You know, it's okay that John, you know, he feels like oh, you know, he doesn't like me. Is it that I didn't like John? No, I really did like John. And I'll be flat out honest. John would have lost his world title if I wasn't doing his fight at UFC 165 when he fought Alexander Gustafson. There's not another referee that would have told the the doctor, no, I'm not stopping the fight. And let him go out for the fifth round and let that fight continue because referees are not going to put their career on the line for the fighter. They're going to say, you want to stop? They're going to do this with their hands. and it's going to be over. And Wait, what? Alexander Gustafson is Re- going to be the winner. Remind me, what happened? <laughs> when John Jones fought Alexander Gustafson, he got hit with, uh, I think it was a, a, I want to say that he got hit with a right hand, but it was on the right eye in the first round, split yeah. his eye open. And he went through the fight, went through the second round, third fight. And the cut got a little bit worse in the third round. At the end of the fourth round, the doctor came in and he looked at me and he says, you know, I, I don't like the way his eyes look. And, I think we should stop the fight. Oh. And, and I had looked at it, and John had just won the fourth round. You know, came yeah. back because Alexander was winning it. John came back and had won and almost finished Alexander in that fourth round. He was the champion, and he's fighting. You know, he had been fighting with that eye the way it was for the entire fight and never was, you know, dabbing at or anything. And I looked at him, I said, Doc, he just won that last round. I don't think we need to stop this fight. And he goes, I, I, I don't like it. I said, I'll tell you what. We're going to let the fight go on. And if uh, I, I see that, that cut change at all, I'll stop the fight and bring wow. you in. Right? And he says, oh, okay. And he goes out. And to myself, I'm thinking, I am never stopping this fight. <laughs> okay? Because I'm not going to take someone's title based on a cut that, you know, it's not a bad, I know what bad cuts are. And, yeah. you know, I'm not saying I'm smarter than the doctor, but when it comes to injuries and fights, I'm smarter than the doctor most of the time, <laughs> especially when it comes to cuts. I know what's a bad cut. I know what's not. And that fight should never have been stopped for that cut at that time. So, but, you know, so that's how much I hated John. You know, <laughs> you yeah. know I, I basically put my butt on the line because it was the right thing to do. So I have mixed feelings on this one, and that's because of the the, the possi- what the situation was. 
So if this, if the doctor actually came in to stop the fight, if he looked at the cut and his intention was to stop the fight, I think McCarthy was in the wrong here because I don't think a referee should be able to tell a doctor that no, he's not stopping the fight because because of how the previous round went. That just seems like a slippery slope because say a doctor comes in and wants to stop a fight because he sees uh, the eye is damaged or the orbital bone is damaged or there's a possibility of further damage to this, the facial structure in some way. So, and then the referee says, no, I'm not going to do that. That can't happen. So if McCarthy did overstep his bounds there and prevent the doctor from stopping the fight, that that should be something that Gustafson and his team might be able to, I mean, not that it's going to make a difference at this point, but they should file a, uh, a report at least that, that this should not happen. Because the doctor is there as the ultimate arbitrator of, of what, what, how the fight should end. And if, if the, the doctor says, I'm stopping it, then that should be the final word because a doctor knows more than a referee. So if the cut was, was bad and there was damage beneath the, the cut or damage to the, the bones and, and or further a risk of further damage, then, and, and McCarthy sp talked the, the doctor out of it, that's, that's a risky proposition. Now, I should say that I looked for this on the tape of the fight. I could not find that the doctor entered the cage. Um, and I can't find that he spoke to McCarthy, so I don't know how this went or where it went on. Or even if the doctor looked at the cut had, or if he was just observing it from cage side. So that's the other thing about this. If it was a consultation between the doctor and McCarthy and it was more or less a, I don't like the way that looks, then I think McCarthy is okay here because he's just trying to say, all right, it looks bad, but it's just a cut. And I think he can keep going and we'll keep an eye on it if it gets worse. And that we've seen, we've seen that discussion many times uh, from either side will say that the doctor will say that to the referee or the referee will say that to the doctor that we're going to keep an eye on it and if something comes up where it looks like it needs to be stopped we'll we'll stop and have you come back in and take a look at it so i think that would be okay but from mccarthy to if it was the other situation where where the doctor actually came in and said i want to stop this fight that 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 can't happen. It puts too much on the on the referee, and it it could it could become very dangerous if that becomes the norm, or even if a referee tries to convince a doctor that that the fight can can, can go on. The doctor can't and shouldn't do anything but look at the fighter.
and use his or her judgment if this fighter can continue. And no referee should be able to interfere with that. So I think I'm going to have more on this um, on Bloody Elbow soon. So keep your eye out, uh, eyes open for that. Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker had a hell of a fight on Saturday. Um, he went five rounds with Dustin Poirier, lost the unanimous decision, and then he had to hop on a plane, fly back to New Zealand. The flight to New Zealand, total flight time, are usually in a 20-hour range. I've, I've flown there three times. It's a long flight. Luckily, it's mostly overnight. And when Mr. Hooker landed and his team landed, they have to quarantine for two weeks before they can return to their homes. And that is because New Zealand is doing uh, what they should do when it comes to the coronavirus and COVID-19. You quarantine for two weeks and then you can go home. And that is why New Zealand has zero cases. So I saw that there was a lot of posts today about poor Dan Hooker and referring to the picture of him meeting outside with the distance between him and his daughter, that it was a heartbreaking thing. And while that picture may tug at your heartstrings, the reality is Hooker and his family are making a small sacrifice for the greater good of New Zealand. And... If you ask me, this shouldn't be the exception. This should be the norm for the UFC and its COVID-19 protocol. Because it's not the norm, the protocol has a giant miss in it, and that is this last step. So no matter how good you are in the front, if there's nothing at the back end, it's really not a complete plan. And this is something that's been discussed since day one. The UFC's plan is incomplete. So the plan needs to be for everyone, when you return home, you quarantine for two weeks, and then you get tested, and then you can resume your regular, quote-unquote, regular life. With that step missing... You don't know what happened. And there's, there's too much risk here, in my opinion, because you're leaving the hotel, you're mixing in, you, you know, you're traveling to the airport, you're going through the airport, you're getting on the plane, and then you're flying in that plane, in Hooker's case here, 14 hours, 14 to 20 hours to get home. Now, Hooker didn't have to wear PPE when he came to the States because New Zealand, he knows everyone from New Zealand is COVID-19 free because they have zero new cases. Doesn't know that the same going back. And that's why New Zealand requires everyone to quarantine. And, I, and I've been saying this from the start. The, the final quarantine and final test should be done two weeks after I mean, the final quarantine should be done when you get back to wherever you're going. And then the final test should come two weeks after that. And then you should be able to, you know, go about, go about your life. Without that, 
the, the plans are, are, are faulty. So I don't feel, I mean, I understand that this sucks, sucks for Hooker, but it sucks for everyone in New Zealand that leaves the country and comes back. This isn't just him. And I think Hooker, know, he knew this when he, he, when, he, when he took the fight, that he was going to have to go through this, so everybody was prepared. But the story isn't poor Dan Hooker. The story is, why isn't, why isn't this the requirement for the UFC? Why is there no one quarantining and then following up on testing after the events? That's the, that's the story. So Aspen Lad tweeted out a um, an update on her life situation, and it's not ideal. So here is what she wrote. Weird time for sure in my life. I'll be out a minute. My beloved dog passed, and my other dog needed one leg removed. Puppy medical bills are racking up. Pictured are three fight-worn UFC items I wore during my wars. Feel free to DM me and make a legitimate offer. Um, yeah, I've had many uh, a vet bill. Um, my dogs have always been crazy unhealthy, so I know how fast these things can accumulate. And I know how that it can be a, a tough time getting money to, to pay for these vet bills. So I feel terrible for her for that and also because she's, you know, out for a prolonged amount of time because of injury. But this, this, this shouldn't happen to a UFC fighter in 2020. And I'm not saying that to make Aspen Ladd look bad or, or anything like that. She's a professional athlete and in the biggest... MMA organization in the world and here she is having the sell things she wore during her fights to make ends meet and this isn't the first time we've seen this but that doesn't make it any less devastating especially since we like I said yesterday and many times before we know the revenue is there to pay these fighters more so and I also spoke about this a little bit um, regarding injuries. An NFL player is injured. They get paid until they're able to return. A UFC fighter is just out of luck. So these things need to change. You can. The UFC has the ability to put fighters on a stipend. The UFC has the ability to pay fighters a salary. The USC has an ability to make fighters employees and pay them um, insurance outside of injuries sustained during training and during competition. There's uh, so, so much the UFC could do, and it's not because it wants to keep most of the revenue for itself. So this shouldn't happen, and, it's no f and Ladd is at no fault here. None. All this goes right to the UFC, and I don't know how they can look at someone like Aspen Ladd and be like, or anybody in, the, in under their, um, well, not their employees since they're not employees, 
any other uh, independent contractors and say, sorry, we can't help you out here because you're an independent contractor and, you know, tough shit. But that's essentially what's being said. And this, once again, just goes to prove that the UFC cares more about its bottom line than it does about its fighters, its independent contractors. These are the people that make all the money for the UFC, and they get the least return on that. So it's just another example of interchangeable cogs. Here's your fight kit, and we'll iron your name on it. And go out there and bleed for us so we can collect a bunch of money off your back. So I hope Lad ends up all right. Um, I hope this isn't too stressful. And I hope that she doesn't end up in serious debt because of this. Because that can happen um, when, when, when pets become ill. I think, you know, we, we, all, we all probably know that. Or many of us probably know that. So like I said, hopefully Aspen Lad lands on her feet here and things turn out well for her. One of the things that has always bothered me about the UFC is its lack of transparency. And one of the things that has bothered me about the UFC's COVID-19 protocol is its lack of transparency. And so we found out today, thanks to MMA fighting that American top team jiu-jitsu coach Marcos Demata Demata D-A-M-A-T-T-A I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right probably not but he tested positive for COVID-19 on June 25th and has been quarantined in a hotel room in Las Vegas since then So his, I think the Nevada State Athletic Commission protocol has it that someone has to quarantine for two weeks in Nevada before they can travel by plane anywhere. You can travel by car, but not by plane. And so he is uh, stuck there. Um, He was set to corner, according to the story, set to corner Luis Pena, on June 27th, but didn't have contact with the fighter, so that allowed Pena to go on and fight. Um, so, yeah, we didn't find that out until today. So it's it's alarming that these things happen, and we don't know about it until five days after the positive test. And in a situation like this, Transparency is the key, and it keeps questions from being asked about a situation like this. So now the questions are, well, why didn't we find out? How are we sure that he didn't have contact with anyone? Why did you let Pena fight? All these things are going to come out, and this all could have been avoided had the UFC just said, hey, This guy's coach tested positive for COVID-19. We have him quarantined. He came to the event 
on his own, or I'm, I'm guessing here, but this is something that could have been said if this was the facts. He came to the event on his own. He didn't have contact with anyone on the team. And we caught it and have him in quarantine. And he'll follow the protocol with, with the Nevada State Athletic Commission. So now we don't know if that happened. So now all these other questions will be raised, and this is a bad look for the UFC. I don't know why the UFC shoots itself in the foot like this over and over and over. We find the media eventually finds these things out, and then that just leads to more questions. And, and the UFC can get indignant about this all, it's, all at once, but it created this problem by not being transparent from the get-go. It's simple, it's easy, it's honest, and it removes a shit ton of issues if you just say, this is what happened, this is how we dealt with it, and it was all above board and by the protocol. Now we're, even if that happened, we're unsure because the information came so late. The UFC is is so committed to not sharing any information that it creates these issues on its own. And I, I really don't understand it. So the ratings for Saturday's event came out, and they were pretty good. Uh, I think, according to uh, Showbuzz, the number was average 1.07 million. The UFC, when it provided the numbers to media members, wrote, according to John Morgan's tweet, that it was 1.1 million, which is off by 30,000. The UFC has done this before where they round up no matter where the number is. It's unnecessary because we know what the number is. We can just Google it so we know what the actual number is. I know the UFC wants to do this to make itself look good, um, but it just looks a little silly when you can see the actual number. So 1.07 million, and that puts UFC on ESPN 12 at uh, number five all-time on the UFC's ESPN streaming, I mean ESPN ratings. Again, this is... It was. It might have been higher. It probably would have been higher. There's going to be some views on the streaming. I mean, I watch it on the streaming, so I know that it's it's just uh, there's going to be more views there as well. But we don't get those numbers because UFC doesn't share them. So um, it wasn't a bad bad rating. But again, this is a. This is a time when there's not a lot going on in the sports world. So the UFC wanted to see the, I think they were expecting to see a bump. And they haven't been. The two events before this one, I think, were both under a million views. And so that that shows that the UFC is still in this little little niche that it's, it's going to struggle to get out of. So there's that. But all in all, not a bad rating at all. 
But I think, I mean, my opinion of this is that the UFC expected more for these fight cards that take that are taking place while there are no other sports going on. And it, I'm going to guess that it's not a happy time when they're seeing these numbers come back. I could be wrong, but I, I'd be surprised if I was wrong in this case. And with that, that's a wrap for today's Come On Now MMA podcast. Until tomorrow, stay safe. Mm-hmm.